Uh, I wrote about it a couple weeks ago about Rick Rubin, a uh, super producer. Uh, he's done every artist under the sun, uh, every genre, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jay-Z, Eminem, uh, Johnny Cash. But he actually said something that I, I fully... It's not a, something I changed my mind on, something I didn't even think about. He said that there's no such thing as wrong taste. He says, you can't have a wrong taste. It's like, it's like you, you have your own taste. People might not like it. doesn't make it right or wrong. There can be tastes that last a long time and that have longer shelf lives. But to say somebody has a right or wrong taste is completely not true. Uh, and, and I agree with him. And I'll take one example. Sorry. All right. Welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice, the AMA special. We have Trung fan Bilal Zaidi here. In full transparency, you probably worked it out, but we are pre-recording this, as we mentioned last episode. Um, you know what? Just not to confuse people, I'll flip my hat around. Yeah, yeah, like we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Jack <laughs> is not here right now, but if he's able to join, he'll be able to join us and that answer those dude, questions as well. Can you imagine if Jack jumped in off the top rope right now? And just oh my god! Oh my That'd be goodness, incredible. man! Oh, the Hardy man. Boys style. Yeah, that was an old WWF reference for the old people in the room. All right, oh, let's yeah. get Shawn straight Michaels, into it, baby. man. Sure, Michael's Jesus. All right, so um, we got, so first of all, AMA, ask me anything. We've done a few of these. People generally like them. Anything goes. You ask, you're allowed to ask anything. We'll always try to answer honestly. Um, and if you didn't submit a question this time, but you want to do it next time, we'll probably do one in a few weeks again. Uh, make sure in the Telegram group, which is in the link below. Um, the first question, let's just get straight to it. Laurie O asks, would love to hear more about each of your journeys to your first 100 or 1,000 true fans. And really quickly, the idea of 1,000 true fans is from a guy called Kevin Kelly. is a famous uh, blog post he wrote Founder called 1,000 True Fans. Founder of Wired, great. Seems like a very philosophical, interesting dude. Some great podcasts he's done with Tim Ferriss, some of my favorites. Um, but have you read that article or, or the blog post? I have read it, yeah. It's a classic. It and is a so classic. Well, the, the idea is that... Let's, yeah, let's go on. What's the idea? A thousand true fans is you can make a living. You have a thousand true fans, and they pay you hundred dollars a year. That's hundred grand a there year. There we go. That's hundred grand a year. Idea, you can live on most in most places for hundred grand, except for New York where I live. But now I'm messing around. Oh, no, that's, that was you, that was a joke. You hundred percent can live on hundred grand. I'm messing okay, around. Sorry, well, that was I mean, bad. I, I feel that might be. Okay, no, guys, it's completely Rafa, fine. It depends. That. It depends where you, where you're living. But you know, all jokes aside, hundred grand is a good living anywhere, right? So. Um, so, but the, the definition of true fan is someone who's willing to buy your stuff, right? So it's yeah. not just a follower to clarify. It's not just a follow on Twitter or, uh, you know, a subscriber to a podcast is maybe a bit closer, but still they're not paying for anything. So it comes from this older idea of, uh, think of a touring, uh, artist, right? Like the musician, they're going to pay for the CD back in the day, your merch at the concert, come to your concert. They might even travel around with you and be like on the road with you. Those people are your diehard fans and those people will be willing to spend $100 a year. So that's where it comes from. Um, if you're also interested, Jack and I had a quite a deep discussion on this on Crater Lab episode two, where me and him did uh, a live together back in the day. And we talked about the, how that shifted from 1,000 true fans to 100 true fans. Um, and so if you're interested, you can go uh, and check that out as well. But yeah, Trung, first of all, would you consider yourself to have a thousand true fans? You have over 650,000 subscribers or oh, so you know, followers on Twitter. I don't know how many people on your email list. I don't know if you're, you share yeah, that Yeah, I don't before. know how many would pay like to 
and true fans is a different level, dude. Because so, you've got, you've got paid subscribers too, right? I've, I'm one of them on uh on Twitter. Yeah, but that's it, man. That's that's more like that's, that's a thousand, like a thousand. We're talking a hundred, uh, one hundred to a thousand dollars a year. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't even know that's about Gumroad yet, to be honest, man. So to be honest. maybe we shift that idea though. So for what we can say, but let's say I'd say you've got a hundred people. If you DM them, right? Well, that I'll, I'll say this: I probably have a hundred people. I don't like the idea of pain, to be honest. Like uh, yeah. in that sense, is like there's different ways to, of exchange of value. Um, no, but I mean, like the the thesis being because that you kind of brought it up, right? It's very different if you're hitting subscribe and hitting the notification bell and giving somebody money. Like you jump the true. chasm, right? Yes, it's yeah. Like you truly find value from this individual's work. Um, I was giving an example. So, like Substack, I don't, I don't charge on my Substack, uh, but people have pledged money, which by pledging you just mm. click and you say, if the second he decides to turn on uh, payments, I will immediately pay. Now, it has my credit card already pre-committed. So, you know, I have quite a few of those. So to say my journey to that, yeah, the journey to having people willing to pay for my work is still ongoing. Like to have a yeah. thousand true fans is, I don't think I'm there. I don't think I'm yeah. honestly All there because right. I don't believe that, I believe I provide a lot of value. I just don't know what niche it is because barely doesn't count, right? Barely is a software product and it, it, it it's it's not direct. It's kind of related to me. I show. But they're not only using it because it's trunks. It's, they might exactly. know about it through you, but it needs to deliver, right? It's not, yeah. oh, I'm paying for Trunks content because I like the way he writes or I'm going on his course or I'm paying for an NFT like the way Jack's done. Jack has got like a Jack course. clearly Jack, has a thousand Jack 100 does. Right? Yeah. yeah, and he did that from before he did NFTs because people would buy his courses you and know educational stuff. what it is? It's because like, you're aligning like who you, because the thing about Jack, and he's talked about it, man. He's like, he's so aligned his online personality with his business and his artistic ventures that you're buying the entire package, right? Is that the barely is such a roundabout way to buy the trunk package. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It makes a ton of sense for me to do the software product, a ton. And and to be like spill the beans, like we're doing quite well. But it's like yeah. it's not directly me. You know what I mean? Yeah, that and and that's a great way to put it. And I, what I'd say is with I think it's quite an honest answer to say you're not sure if you're there in terms of like selling something as an individual. Like, can I get a thousand people to show up MSG and pay a hundred dollars each? Probably not. Right. Like, mm. like, like I, that I think is... personally, I think you could from the outside, but it would take you, it would take selling. Like people you, don't realize have, what it takes oh, to right. get a thousand people to do it. It takes you, selling. Yeah. You're it right. Takes selling. I, I think you'd I'd have to pump could them with it. Do a and proper have... show, get great guests. Uh, like meant to, un because remember getting people in person, that's a double it's, commitment, right? That's tough. Especially yeah. my age range. It's like now they gotta have somebody babysit their kids. You see, that's the that's the thing, right? It's like you're asking, and maybe I'm probably underselling because I'm, I'm getting hung up on this the the actual financial number of it, and because I've never really tried a direct thing like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I have a thousand fans that are true ish. Yeah, yeah. So let's adjust the question then. So I I think that was a good clarification for Laurie's question, but. Let's say I think his intent was probably to say closer to you know maybe not the paying, but people who are you know I mean there's a fan account there's literally Trung fan account yeah, right I've like, had hundreds of people uh, okay you know what let you, I like your reframing I've had hundreds of people that have hit me up multiple times and be like hey man really like this really like this really like this yeah. right like like that that's uh 
even just to get somebody to type something is like man, even more than just getting a freaking like a, a lazy little like, right? But, yeah. Um, let's turn it no, on that's, you. That's a good. Yeah, go 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 ahead. No, let's turn it on you. We're, so we're uh, yeah, similarly, again, I think paying wise, I'd, I've never even tried to sell anything to anyone with like Create Lab or anything like that. I think the closest was trying to get people to do a live when we did it with Jack. And on again, honestly speaking, a lot of that definitely would have come from Jack. Right, because he would. It was in the middle of the pandemic. He was really flying with his NFT stuff. Uh, maybe it was actually before NFTs, but he was. He would tweet our link, and we would get people to sign up. But I did. I probably got over a hundred people signing up for that before we even tweeted out from email list and putting on the pod and stuff like that. So I, I wouldn't say I'm at a stage even necessarily where a thousand people would pay me for something. But let's just say the idea was, do you have a hundred people that know your work, that value it enough, that say. If you launch something, if you start a company, if you wanted to sell something, give me a shout. And if they like that offer, they might buy it. I think, yeah, maybe, right? But that's not, a good reframing, yeah. also, because I would say yes to that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's closer. And I would say, yeah, that the pro- do I have a hundred relationships that I think uh, beyond just someone pressing like on Twitter or something like that? Probably, but again, we haven't fully tested it. So regardless, I think the uh, the question though is really around your journey to that. So I would say really quickly from my side, I would just frame it around Creator Lab. My first podcast, that was really, you know, you saw I've been doing it since 2015, 2016, but I went super hard in the pandemic, right? 2020, I was doing one a week with like really big guests, you know, um, crazy work, like 10, 15 hours prep for one interview. It It was a lot. But I was like so on it that it really grew quite a lot during that time. And I would say that was so much about like one-on-one stuff. I was literally like DMing people. Like that's probably how we spoke originally. I was like, I was pitching shit hard. I was pitching the Uber stuff driver. doing that, that don't scale. It, it doing stuff that don't scale, exactly. And that was, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're referencing Paul Graham's essay, you know, founder of Y Combinator. And it, Let me tell that story quickly. Yeah, go on, go Do you want to tell yeah. it? No, yeah, no, well, he it. was just talking about uh, oh man, the example he brought up with the Stripe brothers, with the payment firm, uh, yeah. the Carlson twins. I'm uh, not sorry, called the Carlson brothers, not the twins. They're not twins. Uh, but um, there's a very famous story about uh, it's called the Carlson install. So Patrick Carlson would walk around like YC with the startup incubator uh, program, and like he'd be like, hey, and like go up to somebody in the program and be like, hey, do you want to try my payment startup? Like, yeah, sure. He's like, okay, give me your computer, and he installed it directly. Like that doesn't scale, right? But he's like, it's like, it sounded like blah, hitting people up, like in the DMs. Like you're very on it, right? Yeah. And like, I think uh, I have one thought and then a comment. Uh, the thought on the question was exactly this. I love how you're saying, let's mold and kind of reframe it. I think my initial answer is like, I said no was because I haven't really tried, right? Like truly, really honestly, I haven't even tried uh, in the traditional manner, trying to sell directly. Can you get a thousand people to spend a hundred dollars or a hundred people spend a thousand dollars? Like, I haven't really tried that. The other part of it is I like your reframing of it is a journey, right? It's like, that's the other part of it. It's like, are we kind of there? And we don't even know yet. I would say yes. Yeah. 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 But I think that even just around like tactically, basically getting to that is that there is a journey. And, and, and so there are stages that you, you kind of hit a brick wall. Like, so let's just say for you from the outside, knowing, I mean, I think when we first started speaking, you probably had single digit thousand follows on twitter right i think oh, you had like, thousand probably. Yeah. yeah 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 and so but just seeing you go from that to 10 to 20 i remember dming you and you were 
going super viral and you were like 7,000. I was like, man, you're getting to 20,000 in no time. And you're like 100K up next and I, I, or something like that. And I was like, wow, like he's already thinking about 100K. That means, you know, now you've got way more. So I, I think that's just the bigger idea here is like understanding there's going to be times where those those big milestones, they like hit 10, I hit 20, I hit 100, whatever. In my case, it was similar with, you know, uh, podcasts. It was like getting first thousand, ten thousand, etc. M- most people think, oh, you get this one big spike, and then now you've got those people forever. And and that isn't specifically with podcasting. That's not how it works, right? Because there's is is really one of the hardest areas to grow. And I've heard lots of people say this. Even your ex colleague Sam and Sean from My First Million were talking about it. it was with Andrew Wilkinson in their live episode they did about basically those guys have all had multi-million dollar exits and businesses and the hardest thing they've done in growing audience was a podcast because there's no discoverability and you're convincing someone to listen for over an hour and then once they even if they love five episodes you they they might hate the sixth and they never come back so there's this constant thing of filling up the funnel at the top in marketing terms and retaining them at the bottom and yeah. constantly delivering so that is why it's generally very difficult outside of youtube and so for me it was really just Literally, like you said, doing things that don't scale, speaking to people in the, initially, um, emailing out people. When I first launched it, I got Google. I convinced the head of Google sales to share it in an end uh, end of year recap to ten thousand people, twenty thousand people, and anywhere I could, I went to platforms and pitched it to them and said, "Hey, tune in radio. Have you even heard of tune in radio? Right, a lot of people don't even know what it is. They had like tens of millions of listeners." And I got featured on the homepage by creating a partnership with them alongside Incredible. New York Times and NFL, right? I had no, things that don't scale. Yeah, yeah. Things that, yeah. And you things that you're not really thinking about. It's a little outside the box. And um, a lot of my subscribers to Creator Lab come from early partnerships I developed with those tier two. I'm just going to be honest. They're like, they're not Apple and Spotify. I tried with them. They wouldn't do anything, right? But there's like another one, CastBox. I remember back in the day, this other app that was massive on Android. I, f- I found the founder, I spoke to them. And by then, I think it was already featured, but they featured me in like a... Dude, you hustled. Yeah, I was hustling a lot in the beginning, especially. And so that that's kind of some well, of the so stuff that you do. When you hear about you, these you rappers do. that sell tapes out of their trunk, right? It's oh, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like... That's, all, all you're yeah, framing so. that, man, is... Uh, yeah, that was a great question because I've actually never thought about it. And... Um, yeah, I'm not against selling. I just, uh, there's other ways to monetize. And uh, yeah. I mean, I I'm selling think, myself every day, right? I'm shilling yeah. myself. I, I will say, and I'm just being, I'm thinking out loud here, and I'm trying to be honest with you here as a friend, as a co-host. I think you have these two sides to you from the outside. One, you're like the most willing to share. Like when we do a podcast, you share everything. You share the clips, whatever. But there's also another part of you, which is the shit poster twitter culture where anything that sounds promotional too promotional yeah. that is selling is you generally frowned frowned upon so for example i remember you did, for a hot minute you were starting this course thing right like you were going to do this power writing or some sort of writing course you didn't end up launching it but i remember you you put in that and some of your your friends on twitter would be like oh he's selling the course and it's kind of annoying right like obviously they're joking around well, and messing well, with well, you good one. our boy alex hit me up on the we had a good call actually yeah 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 Actually, went Alex, yo, yo, can you pump this for me? And then he did it in the shit post. Oh, way, that right? was his way of doing it. Oh, yeah, no, it was, like, it was perfect, yeah. right? Um, no, I mean, 
I'm not, again, I'm not against it at all. But yeah, I, but I was just going to ask, I'm curious to get your actual take because that's from the outside. I think you're more than willing to promote stuff, especially your own oh, stuff. Oh, I mean, look at, but, look at Barely. It's insane, the, yeah. the shilling I'm doing, right? But again, is this, does, is that a thousand true fans? It might be. You're actually convincing me that it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the reason why the distribution is even working, I mean, mind you, it's a great product. Like, my co-founder yeah, yeah, yeah. is an animal. And, uh, but uh, people wouldn't, like, the whole point of why we're doing this organic word of mouth is it's coming through me as a mouthpiece and as somebody that uses it every day, right? Oh, it's a perfect you know combo. I'm sold. I'm sold. You know what? You're in. Thousand true fans. My journey's happening. <laughs> so uh, let me answer it, though. It goes back to what we said about Jack. It had to be something that fit yin and yang with who I was as a media personality. And this does, because if you go look at advanced Twitter search, look at my Twitter handle, and type in barely, look at the shilling I'm doing. It is the funniest shit in the world. No, man. 100%. It is, it is like every single show of barely is a shit post. Every single one. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. Of them. And I'm telling people around, this is driving like a lot of traffic and conversions no, on the website. Conversions. No, it's no, working. So, it's working. And no, so and I wasn't criticizing. I was just trying to share from the outside the, the no, juxtaposition no, no, you it, though, man. between like, those you, you two where of, if you, you feel promotional, it, it's not the right, it's also not the right tone for the way you post. Yeah. So the way you're doing it barely work, works because you're joking around and you're mentioning it and people are oh, 5% of those people will be like, oh, I'm actually going to click this. 2% of them are going to turn into users. No, they did. That's, no, that's generally what happens. So anyway, great question for Laurie. Let's move on to the next one because we could be all day on that one. This one, uh, let's just, I'll mix up the order a little bit. So uh, yeah. this is from Faraz uh, Rahman. This was to you and Jack because your parents. Uh, so right now we'll just do Trung. Would you get your kids started in business early or insist they get a job first? That's quite an interesting question. That's a great question. I think where we're landing mentally is, so my wife loves Shark Tank. And I know that anybody's ever watched Shark Tank. You've seen the kids that go on stage. Like, I've been watching Shark Tank since I was two years old. So good. Yeah, classic. Right? It's like, uh, so what I will say is this. I'm not going to try to get my kid into quote-unquote business. Like, <laughs> that, that is not even like, that's not even something that's crossed my mind. Having said that, uh, getting them to work is, uh, I think, extremely important. Uh, they got. I want my kid to learn how to do uh, stuff that uh, he might not want to do because half of life is doing stuff you don't want to do. Yeah. And then your point in life is trying to get to a place where you actually just do what you want all the time. Uh, but even then, you can't not avoid doing shit you don't want to do, right? Yeah. Um, definitely would get him to do some work. Uh, and if not work, uh, the, the alternative is just put him into a lot of organized sports. Uh, he's, yeah. my, my kid is very, uh, when he f wants to do something, like he's goes in deep on it. So um, I don't think that'd be a huge problem. But uh, yeah, I mean, listen, if he likes business, amazing. I will give him all the resources he can have to learn about businesses. And if he, listen, he, if tell him an eight-year-old uh, LT, my son comes to me, he's like, hey, dad, I want to start Lemonade Stand, uh, but it's online and I want to do it mm. with Web3 blockchain. I'm like, go, go nuts, man. Here's some seed funding. I want some returns on this. Yeah. But uh, yeah, business, no, honestly, man, business is, it's not, I don't, I don't think I want him a kid involved in business. I'd rather he be you know, doing stuff he wants, uh, but that forces a little bit of discipline. So maybe yeah, that's get him great. to work. And I, I don't have kids, but the only thing I'd add to that without having kids is I've obviously thought about this as well, because I do want to have kids in the future, is, yeah, kind of similar to what you said. It's really about like, what do they naturally like and really harnessing that and encouraging those things? Because I think that's the most important thing at that age is really just it's, giving dude, them confidence 100%, to find man. the things they find fun. 
And uh, obviously, this is me without actually doing it. So maybe when I'm doing it, I'm like, hey, you're selling hats. But no, no I'm messing around. But yeah, I think there's also, um, I think similar outside of business, it's more about what are the values you're teaching them, which for me is, like you said, the value of understanding the value of money, understanding what honest day's work is. And I think both are really important. Understanding what a job is like is actually quite important too, because even if you're not going to be uh, a worker or employee, understanding what that's like gives you empathy, even if you're a business owner in the future or you're an artist or whatever. You've just understood how 98% of the world lives. So I think that's important that either way. the grind is real, right? Like you yeah, gotta and know. I also think getting a hard job, like, you know, the typical student jobs we've talked about on the show, painting, you know. With three-day pa painting career? Three-day painting, lifting stuff, working, even retail, you know, anything like that is going to be a hard day's work and you got paid $10 an hour, whatever, $15 an hour, whatever the, um, you know, minimum wages, basically. So you really, when you get up to $100 an hour or $1,000 an hour in the future, you got to really remember that time you were earning 12, you know what I mean? So well, I, mean, I think dude, that's, that's why important. Jack would have been great for this because, man, we've, we've, over the years, oh, we've yeah. heard Jack's wild, uh, not wild, but like his, his stories of uh, working at the car factory, the Hyundai car yeah. factory. That's what builds the, the discipline, man. So, yeah, great question. Um, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, this one was from Jack, not Jack Butcher, another NFT profile picture, though. Uh, Jack said, interested to hear your thoughts on the hype cycle in technology and AI one we're currently in. What distinguishes true innovation from a pump and dump? And how do you navigate this? And will my NFTs ever be worth anything again? Laugh out loud. We can't, so, we can't answer the NFT part. But, yeah, because uh, yeah, there's about, no investment advice. But well, Why don't you talk through the hype cycle and what uh, what that is typically? Yeah, I, I can't even remember the, all the phases, to be honest. But essentially, uh, Jordan, Raffle will you, pull the graphic. Let's ask Raffle you, to add the graphic here. Yeah, do, uh, I, do you know the stages off the top of your head? There's like euphoria and, or is so that... I'll, uh, I'll pull it up right now. Uh, Raffle, if you could add the graphic, uh, that would be amazing. Thank you. So this yeah. is called the Gartner hype cycle and uh i mean a lot i'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with it but we'll just walk through it but there's basically like this chart um uh and the y-axis is visibility and the x-axis is time and blah kind of describing it is there's a the first event is called a technology trigger and then it, it blows up people are like oh my god it's brand new technology yeah. let's all get in on it and then you hit the peak of inflated expectations that's when you think it'll just change everything in the world and you start realizing yeah. the applications aren't that great. And it is funny, the trough of disillusionment. So what's funny is that cryptos hit that inflation yeah. in the trough multiple times, times over the past decade. In a short period of time, yeah. Yeah, and then you slowly go back up. It's called a slope of enlightenment. You figure out what the true applications are, the pros and cons of that product or innovation. And then you hit the plateau of productivity. It's not as high as a peak of the expectations, yeah. but is a sustained and ongoing. Um, what do I think AI is at right now? I think we're actually in this cycle, a bit in the peaky of yeah, infinite expectations. Um, I think a lot, just from barely AI, uh, our product, uh, when we see monthly churn on the product, our sense is, you know, it's a lot of people just, they're tourists. They're window shopping. They're like, oh, this is cool. Let's Trying see what this is out. all about. China, I'm like, yeah, it's not for me. They didn't so, find the sticky yeah. use of it. And I'm sure that's happening in ChatGPT. And honestly, too. probably a lot of that is not even barely specific. It's about... Did, it's, yeah, generative AI, right? Yeah, it's like, did this thing everyone's talking about actually help me with anything day to day? Totally. A hundred percent. And uh, but what I will say, uh, crypto versus uh, AI is it's just so clear to me that these use cases are... Real. It's literally everything. 
We talked about it's not just an week. idea. It's not just yeah. like one day people could send money to each other. Yeah. One day we could have concert tickets as NFTs. Or this we is, need we're doing these it. 30 things that happen for Bitcoin to be the global reserve currency. It's like, no, tomorrow. But, and no, not even tomorrow. In the next six months when Google, we talked about last week, when they flip on all these products, sorry, across all their uh, billion plus user uh, services like uh, Gmail, Search, YouTube, uh, Drive, uh, Google Workspace, people are using this every single second every day. Like that's the reality. Um, I think we are a bit of inflated expectations and we're probably hitting now where you're not, not necessarily yet the trough of disillusionment. That might happen, I think, uh, if the, no, no real business models crop up or people are finding, well, you know what? This, the large language models might actually destroy like the super profitable like search model that Google has or, or really hamper it. So yeah, it's great for productivity, uh, but then there's a lot of problems like misinformation, or not misinformation, it's like hallucinations and it's not as good or fast and or maybe it's too expensive on the cloud infrastructure side. So I think that's where we're at. I think there's going to be a shake on the next six months where we really see, ah, it wasn't it wasn't as world, it is world changing, but kind of all the hopes and visions we had as the problems start trickling out, you kind of lower your expectations. Yeah. Uh, not much more to add apart from me. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I definitely think we're at that that peak. Uh, and Rafa, again, was showing it on screen already, hopefully by this point. But if you're only listening, just Google the hype cycle by Gartner and Google Images or whatever. And you can see that it definitely crypto, we hit that in 2021 and we did it in 2017. We did it probably in 2012 or whatever it was as well on a smaller scale. And you can literally go on Google Trends and type in Bitcoin, type in crypto, oh, type yeah, in AI. You'll, see, similar, you'll yeah. see a similar chart, which is pretty interesting. And so the the other criteria why I think we're at that peak part for AI is because th we're in the storytelling phase where people are like, this is how you can use it. You can have, we could have a travel assistant that does this. It's going to book this for you. It's going to, but you can't do that yet. And so the proof is going to be in the pudding, as they say, where you're actually seeing oh, this assistant is actually helping me. So right now, I am using ChatGPT and Bard for summarizing text or barely the AI to summarize text and to generate emails and all that sort of stuff. And that for that purpose, it's already better than Google search for that specific set of queries. But all the other stuff that is being talked about, a lot of it I'm not actually using. And another example I know a little bit about is the podcast editing because I've seen there are these really cool videos, uh, you probably saw it, where people on a timeline were showing this thing where you've got three cameras of three different guests and you can see the timeline is essentially automatically optimizing and it's going through. It looks really cool on the video. And I don't know, Rafa, if you can find that video, but that's kind of a cool uh, visual. And I know, and when you look at the comments, you can tell 99% of people probably obviously aren't editing podcasts or have never done video editing or something like that. And they're like, wow don't need editors anymore and and i would say if you've actually used it at the moment that's not the case right yeah. so it does do one thing it switches between cameras for you automatically which is great but you know what also does that the thing we're using right now zoom yeah. zoom automatically switches between two people it has ai in it because it has ai because it recognizes there's a wave going up in audio and it switches to that person and probably some other stuff and so it doesn't do all the things that current a real editor is doing at the moment, but it may do in the future. The same way Descript I talked about last episode 
does some incredible stuff, oh taking out filler they're, words, they're amazing. taking out spacing, speeding things up, etc., etc. So I just think a lot of those videos look super cool until you actually you understand the topic in and out. And another example I say is let's say advertising, because that's another area I know a little bit about. Digital advertising 100% can be uh, optimized and improved by AI 100%. Oh, right? meta, the, that's one of the big meta things. Auto-generated yeah. images, uh, text exactly. headlines. creative and stuff. And again, similar to what we said about Google in last episode, this stuff has already been doing it, right? Like all of the, the what's called like bidding algorithm is already AI-based. It's based on all these signals of who's most likely to click your ad and who's already reacted to something similar. What is the word that worked in other people's ads? This audience, etc. So... This stuff is already happening. There is already AI and it will replace jobs for sure. You might need only one designer versus five in the future, but, and then similarly, you might need one Bilal's company, which is, you know, me helping companies run their advertising media or whatever. You might need one of me instead of the five versions of me, uh, scale wise. But at the moment, you still need to know the ins and outs to trust what you're doing is, uh, is right. And so that's kind of where I think there's an interesting thing that's happening where the really high skilled people that aren't just executors, like you need to understand the execution, but you also need to understand strategically how things work and piece things 50, together. To... Foot, that this is why you need humans in the loop, right? Exactly. And so, yeah, I think that's another part. Let me actually square your thought on yeah. this is, uh, I'll add one thing and then kind of finish uh, off where you extend is like, you're talking about, it's already here. So I think what this actually means though is, just the AI with Meta probably has more economic value than most of Web3 or all of Web3 combined. Already. Yeah, Just I agree. Whatever Meta is doing with AI on the ad side is already adding more uh, economic, um, economic activity. So I think the, even if you look at the hype cycle, the baseline of the AI hype cycle is already so much higher in the Web3. Um, the other thing I'd add is uh, when we say 12 additional illusionment, Bilal's kind of touched on it, is... I think you'll see when you actually start seeing some job losses from this or job dislocation, and then people find new ways to integrate and find different work, that's going to feel like a negative for a lot of people, right? And then you have government regulators coming in. I mean, they just dragged a bunch of people in front of Congress uh, on from the AI side. It's like, now you're seeing people grapple with these expectations. And then when that happens, you start seeing, okay, A, it's not living up to it's going to change 100% of 100% of everything, right? Of, of course it's not. But it's going to change a lot of things, but the expectation is so high that, yeah, I think in the next six months, we're really going to start seeing uh, uh, grapple with reality. It's not doing everything it said it can do, even though it's incredible. Uh, and then uh, people are grappling with what it actually means for society. Definitely. No, that's a great summary. And I, the last thing I'll add 10 seconds is I do think even all of that, the stuff that's coming is real and it's, coming at a pace yeah. that you're like wow i can't believe they're doing that with video i can't believe they're doing that with images i can't believe they're doing that with sound so i'm not dampening this any of a, it it's let's just, say this is a, a mobile computing this is an internet level yeah improvement and step change 100 percent. but we're talking right. we're asked specifically about the hype cycle so we're perfect just yeah all right so uh this question is interesting one from ali naylor said would love to know in your individual journeys to build your own business if you ever dealt with awkward situations betrayal from friends or coworkers, uh, if so, how did you manage that? So I'd say both business or just career, basically, just from co- coworkers or friends. That's an interesting one. Have you ever felt betrayed 
by uh, any whatever trade, you want to share. I've had him numerous. Uh, listen, I've worked on a lot of. Yeah, what else is this? It's like uh, the best analogy I have is indeed it's like it's like dating and relationships, right? It's like, and you probably heard this, right? Startups. Listen, like you might spouse, be with yeah. a startup co-founder for more than you are with your significant other. Yeah. I mean, this is and people are people. They have pros, they have cons, they have flaws, they have amazing uh, human uh, positives. Uh, you know, love, compassion, all that. It, yeah, it, it's and all then they have the other side, jealousy, the other side, envy. Right? They have broken childhoods yeah. that manifest in their exactly. relationship with you, like all sorts no, of stuff. Very specific, but uh... <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's like what happens yeah. to a lot of people, right? Well, yeah, I yeah. answer the question is like, yes, I wouldn't call it betrayal. I was like, yeah, I, I've, I've been in uh, business situations or uh, partnerships where, yeah, I don't talk to the people I was involved with anymore. It just happened a number of times. It's not just one yeah. time, and. Um, and you know what? It's just, it's how it is. It's like life. I, I don't talk to a lot of people that I was friends with in high school and university. And we've had falling outs with people. The answer is, uh, uh, I don't know if Ali wanted a tactical question. Uh, there is no tactics. I think this is just, you deal with humans in every facet of life. And you should fully expect with business, when there's money involved, ego, because, you know, what you do for a living is so much. Also, what you are as a person is your identity. You will deal with bullshit. And uh, the only thing I say is, uh, I'm really like uh, uh, somebody told me this Charlie Munger line that which is adapted to working with people. And they basically said, so the Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett line is it: if you wouldn't invest in something for ten years, don't invest in it for ten minutes. Yeah. Like, I wish yeah, I'd taken I that advice similar, yeah. in 2021 because I invested in a lot of things I wouldn't hold for ten years. Yeah. Uh, and we we both did, and we talk about it. We well, yeah I'm yeah. Our terminology is degen, but I think uh, you know what. If you want to clip me and make this the philosophical trauma, I say the same thing for business relationships and uh, and going into endeavors that are long-term. I mean, dating is obviously quite complicated because you can't know. You but can't business, know straight up, yeah. Business is more like, okay, you can look at the outlines of a business or a startup situation and be like, do I want to work with this person for 10 years? If the answer is no. You shouldn't work with them today. That's you basically shouldn't work with them today. Yeah? Do I you, agree. Right. I agree. I, so yeah, to add to that, I, I think Naval has a similar thing, which is probably taken from Warren Buffett and Munger in the first place. But yeah, similarly, if you're not going to work with them for 10 years, don't work with them for a day and uh, or something along those lines. And that to me, I've definitely seen that over and over again now as well in my own career because, and now look, I think 10 years, it depends. All of this depends. Sometimes you're in a position where you don't have that choice. And so yeah. early in your career, especially, you don't have that leverage to say, to be as picky and choosy, especially when you're 21 coming out of college, sometimes you need to take what your options are and you need to do the smart, pragmatic thing. Once you've built some skills, built some reputation, and then you've built some leverage, then you can start being a bit more picky and say, I don't like that manager. I'm not going to work with them. I'm going to leave or I'm going to join another team in my case, or I'm going to leave the company, go somewhere else. Um, even like this, right? Like our, we've done this for over two years now, right? Us three. Nothing is perfect. We're three very different people, but the fact that we turn up every week and do this. Dude, we make it work, man. I we have make to say, it work like, because yeah, it's work. quite incredible. And the fact that all three of us have never been in the same room together, which is wild, right? Like actually yeah. in person. So that shows, again, that that's the other part of this is it doesn't mean everything's perfect. It's kind of like a marriage or a relationship. You're also, you're going to have arguments. You're not going to agree on everything. But the main principles are like, do you respect each other? Are you able to... Um, resolve conflicts in a in a fair way that you both feel like you're actually hearing each other out 
and uh, and sometimes there's a dynamic where one person is in charge. Or, or marriage isn't necessarily like that, but uh, a job is because you've got a boss a lot of the time. Or if you're the CEO or you're reporting to the CEO, they are your boss or whatever. So it's just, I think going into it, a lot of this is always about expectations going in. So if your expectation is, I need to make sure this is going to be fair and equitable for me when I'm working with this person. Or you know that there's a part of this person who you don't fully like 5% of the way they do things, but you're like, there's enough upside for me in this relationship for this job, for example, that I'm going to stick it out for a year and try it out. And I'll see if that grows and improves similar to your relationship. I think that's not a bad thing either. Uh, sometimes that's what you need to do. But specifically betrayal, I, I think the word betrayal again is a very really strong it's, word. It's, it's loaded, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely felt like, you know, uh, a little bit of a stabbing in the back or someone just, you know, saying, oh, I did this when it was really you or, you know, like, again, I don't want to go into too much specifics, but like one time at Google specifically, we had a pretty bad, um, you know, I don't want to like throw this person on the bus, but the, one of my managers at the time ended up being a terrible manager and it was not just me, it was the whole team. We had big issues and i'd say that half of our, our google careers were impacted significantly wow. with our progress because of what well, happened i didn't mean to laugh but no, you, no, no, no. i chuckles because you said i don't want to get into specifics specific, but specifically <laughs> this year yeah no no and again i'm kind of over that situation but essentially i did feel for many years yeah i, I would come into work basically and i didn't have a salty, green card so i couldn't salty leave salty oh, i'd be in the shower dude. in the morning and that's the worst that's the worst feeling right i'd go in the morning saying I don't feel like I'm getting rewarded and I have no way out. And I've like basically I've been, been promised TN one visa, thing. Brother. I know yeah. that feeling, dude. I know exactly. the feeling. And so I'd say a lot of people, this happens a lot in jobs because you're not in control. And that's probably one of the reasons I don't have a job anymore is because that is something I value more than an average person. And now I'm, I'm okay with the downside of all the things I do now, you know, less stability in a way, um, you know, that, you know, some in some ways leaving money on the table. Yeah, you uh, versus, make that trade-off. Yeah, but the trade-off is fair because I'm like, I'm valuing the things I value and that includes not having to work with people I don't want to work with essentially. So yeah, again, that happens to everyone in different situations. Sometimes it's really extreme. And in that scenario, you kind of just need to look at what can I change if you can't change much about that scenario. So for me specifically, I didn't have a green card. I couldn't leave the company unless I needed to leave the country, which I wasn't willing to do. Yeah. So I said, I need to find something outside that's going to keep me going. And that's when I started doing the spoken word stuff. Then I started the podcast and that helped me eventually leave the company when I was ready to do it. When I was running to something, not running away. Because by then I was at peace with the situation and I was still fine. I like did completely fine in my time there, but it was just that specifically, it was like a six to 12 month period where I was like, oh, this is just not going to work. And, uh, and, and so eventually ended up working fine anyway, but I would just say, yeah, look at, look at those things. If you don't want to work with that person long-term, like don't, don't waste your time because it's eventually going to come up. You know what I mean? You know that, uh, I think the, the key point from what Bilal said is this, is like, you may not have the optionality for a number of reasons, immigration reasons, like we both dealt with, uh, early in your career reasons, uh, financial reasons, but, uh, yeah, something to think about, uh. The only thing, other thing I'd add is if you do, and if you're fortunate enough to be in a situation where you get to pick and choose, like if you have an opportunity to do something new with somebody, is this the one thing I always, one thing I've taken away from my corporate career is you really want to work with people that can actually do their job. Yeah. And, I, and this sounds like 
this sounds really abstract. You don't always have to like, like them either. Yeah, yeah. you don't even have to like them. It's like, is this person like competent? Competent, like, that's the word. We said it at the like, same you, time. Yeah. You just, you know what I mean, right? It's like working with somebody that isn't good at their job or doesn't do what is required of them. They bitch, they moan, they gossip. It just sucks the it soul. It sucks the energy out of you. Yeah. Exactly. And that, no, that's a great way to put it. I, I would say, and like just doing the basics, honestly, I've spoken to quite a few people about this recently. Just like answering emails on time, texting Dude, you back on like time, getting the stuff being like that, yeah. working to a deadline, like those things that we kind of grew up in a work culture where that is the basic, right? Like if you're not even that smart, you can have a pretty good career. Oh just yeah, being you can grind yourself someone just with being a good attitude. You say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. You're going you to say what? you turn up at a certain time, you do Let it. Let me add the exact point that you're making, but I, I, I will try to articulate it because when you're saying it, it brought so many members to mind. It's like, I just... Can you trust the idea of trusting somebody? It's like, you know, those people you certain work with. I, I'm trying to articulate it. It's like, you just know they'll get the job done. Yeah. You send them five things that you just know they'll get it. But then, conversely, there are people that you, you literally cannot. You have to you triple check trust. everything. Triple check yeah. everything. Those are the absolute worst to work with, right? It's because you're like, if you're the employee, yeah. And I'm you're not paying, even unloading anything is, off of you, right? It's like, I want, yeah. like, you're making me do more work. No, that, and, yeah, I 100% kind of agree. Yeah. And it's, I, the, the last thing I'd add on that is sometimes 80% like is the best you're going to get of someone doing it and you can't need to accept the time where they're messing up and stuff like that and uh, yeah that's just it's, it is crazy how many people just literally just don't follow like basic instructions and stuff like that and oh my goodness it's, it's man. a lot yeah anyway that, that so, was uh, triggering that was the most triggering yeah, for me yeah yeah let's, <laughs> let's switch up the, uh, the mood a little bit but good, great question again Niall Quinn asks, what's the last big thing you change your mind on and what caused this change? I think we did something similar to this in the past. Yeah, we did a whole episode on it. Let's, any, anything that does come to mind though? Well, let's let's have them. Uh, why don't we throw up a graphic of what episode that was here because we've totally forgotten. We did that. ideas that changed our lives. And oh yeah, no, we literally we did this. Us. Yeah. So but, listen to that. But was there was there anything since then? I'd say that as anything recently that you changed. It doesn't even have to be a big one, just as even a little one. You change your mind on that. You were like, oh, I used to and do something. or used to think something was going to happen. It doesn't anymore. I'll mention the one we did on that. It was uh, The big one was uh, about uh, religion. It's like I went through the whole phase. Oh, about, yeah, that was uh, good. The atheist phase and then, uh, you know, reading like uh, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. I, I think they are fantastic authors and thinkers. Uh, not everything they do, but a lot. Uh, but yeah, I switched my mind on the importance of religion. I'm still not a very religious person at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, I understand what my parents are. We talked about that. But anything since then that I've changed my mind on, nah, nothing I think of. All right, fair enough. I'm just trying to think if I have anything coming to my My one is very specific and it's probably not that interesting. It's more about kind of health stuff because it's very topical, but maybe maybe we skip that one for now. Uh, you know what? I will say one thing, actually. Uh, on. uh, I wrote about it a couple weeks ago about Rick Rubin, a uh, super producer. Uh, he's done every artist under the sun, uh, every genre, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jay-Z, Eminem. Uh, Johnny Cash, ETC. Anyways, he had a book, Creative Act. He went on a tour. We actually talked about it, uh, uh, a podcast tour. But he actually said something that I, I fully, it's not a, something I changed my mind on, something I didn't even think about. He said that there's no such thing as wrong taste. He says, you can't have a wrong taste. It's like, it's like you, you have your own taste. People might not like it. doesn't make it right or wrong. There can be tastes that last a long time and that have longer shelf lives. But to say somebody has a right or wrong taste is completely not true. Uh, 
and, and I agree with him, and I'll take one example. It's like my parents love durian food, fruit. I hate it. It smells awful. And uh, they, 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 they used to eat it all the time. Do you know durian? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Spiky fruit on the other. Dude, it smells so bad that a lot of hotels in Southeast Asia don't even allow people to bring it into the hotels. So um, my parents love it. But that's just a perfect example. They have a taste in that. I can never understand it. It's from their upbringing culture. And I think this applies to almost anything. Taste in music, taste in television. You go around the world, people have different tastes in anything. It's not right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. That's all. That, that's the only thing I'd add. Yeah, respect. Um, are you do? Are you right for time for another 10 minutes yeah, or so? Yeah, let's do a couple more. All right, cool. One question someone asked again about family stuff. Let me just see where that is gone here. One second. There we go. Yeah, so this is from Parin, P-A-R-I-N. Thanks for sharing this. Uh, this is more for you, Trunk, since you have a family. What kind of trade-offs do you have to make between having young families, uh, young family, also keeping a space to pursue creative ideas and opportunities, especially when things blow up or go viral, surprisingly? I know you've kind of talked about this because I know you've talked about like being with your kid and something's popping off in your phone and how you have to create these boundaries. But how do you deal with that? And also being, you know, you're full-time doing your own stuff. How do you create those boundaries it's, to just do that? It's hard, man. Yeah, great question. Uh, I would love Jack's response on this, actually, because he's got two. Well, here's well, a I think he would say real quick, it. the spouse is a big yeah. part of that, right? He, he, well, he said it, actually. He, he tweeted about it last week for the uh, Christie's auction. He quote-tweeted Celia's tweet about how this is a four- to five-year journey for Jack, her, and Visualized Value, his company with her. And, um, well, I'll give Jack, I would love for Jack's answer on this because we actually, Bilal, you brought it up, is like every time he's had a kid on the way, it's like pushed He him. goes ham, yeah. Yeah, because he's like, oh, shit. Here comes the like those cave, future man. private school. <laughs> those yeah. future private school fees. Here come them future ski lessons. So he... For people who don't know, Jack he did his checks. Love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not even joking, man. No, his you're right, dad, you're right. He launched a checks NFT the same week his second child was born. Incredible. Like, it was like, so I'll say this. It's extremely hard uh, to have that space because to do quote-unquote creative work, particularly, and, and you know, we're niche because we write, we create content. Like, that's my creative work. You need deep, you need space. You need time to sit in front of a computer for four I but I haven't. I haven't been able to sit in front of a computer for four or five hours and just dump things for five years. I have to pick Did and choose my spots now. you used to do that now. before? That was how you uh, got stuff yes, done? Yes, I was like, you block off hours, right? And yeah. you, just, you just try but to grind you, it out. Were you productive for four or five hours at a time often? No, but like, you want to give yourself that yeah, time, yeah, right? It's that like, time, you know, yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. You're just like, oh, at least if I give myself eight to nine, or no, eight to 12, something has to come out of that, right? Um. It's hard. It's extremely hard. Uh, so one thing I will say is that my son will be in school full time, and that's eight hours a day in September. And you know, I, um, part of me is quite sad about it because I've been working from home his entire life, and I spend I do spend a lot of time with him. Um, uh, not all of it is attentive, but uh, I I know compared to a lot of uh, my contemporaries that I speak with, like I spend a lot more time with my kids. And uh, you know, I'm fortunate in the sense I get to work from home and on my own schedule. But uh, yeah, it. There's, there's nothing to say. It's like you spend less time than you can on creative outlets. And uh, that means you work at night. And But now I know that I have this time block coming back. And we'll see what happens. Uh, to answer the question fully is I'll say uh, just be willing uh, and ready, uh, whatever your kid pace is, to know that this, this first four or five years before they're in school full time, you're not going to be able to go 100% into your creative work. 
You're just not. Because yeah. they're yeah. eating your brain. Having said that, the constraints that they give on your time might force you to do better work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I've heard that from people even on the pod um, where they had kids and they said they're actually more productive because they right. basically just have two modes now. It's like family mode and work. Or animal mode, right? Animal mode versus before for this guy in particular, a guy called Christoph, he was like, it was like family time was his girlfriend or wife and then going out with the boys and doing a bunch of social stuff, which obviously is important. But and then work and then now he basically just cut out a big segment. Yeah. You know, it well, goes from fifty percent time to ten or something like that. Yeah, you know what? I'll add this. Uh, I think you're hundred percent right. I don't know even if the quality gets diminished of the work because I've I've been I've been more productive as a you know creative outputter than I had when I didn't have kids. Uh, but uh, well, you know what? I can, I have to return to this question in a year when he's in school full time. Then I can do a probably yeah. A B test. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, another one from Niall, he said, do any of you use mastermind groups? And if so, what is the key to an effective mastermind group? So I'll quickly say, I think we're both uh, shaking our heads. Uh, no. And I, and again, I'm not, again, I think the phrase mastermind group kind of brings up this idea where you pay several thousand dollars a year and you be, you know, you're in this group and it feels very affiliate marketing, which, you know, I know it's not just affiliate marketing, but that is a big, um, is big in that world. I think the idea of having a, a group of friends or people that you know where you talk about stuff and you help each other out and you're going through similar things is a very positive thing. I think the word mastermind gets thrown in in this kind of business world as a very specific segment of that, right? So I'm not against having a group of friends like me, you and Jack are an example of that. Like I would say we, we've all been doing similar things in different ways. And we will help each other out. We'll talk about, oh, have you guys got a recommendation for this? Or, uh, you know, you can't learn from each other just by being in that group organically. And that's kind of always been my approach is anytime I've gone from student to starting a little company as a young person, getting my first job to getting, uh, doing a podcast to doing whatever, there's always been, I've seeked out those people. And actually the best way for me to do that was like the podcast because you can invite anyone, create a relationship yeah. with them. And then if you actually get on, you can cultivate that relationship. And sometimes it becomes a more formal thing, but specifically a mastermind group where you're paying money or your 10 of you meet every week because you're all you know, e-commerce founders under a million dollars a year in revenue. Like that can be incredibly helpful, I'm but sure I haven't can. personally done that. So Me neither. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my answer is I've never done any of them. I have no interest. Uh, I've heard people have done them that it does work. You do want, Bilal saying, Bilal nailed it. You kind of want these small groups that are on the same similar adventures as you. And every person has five different lives, right? Uh, you find a group where you deal with parents, for example. And then you find a group where, like I talk with Bilal yeah. and Jack about about the podcast and about stuff that we're seeing on the internet. But um, I don't like the formal part of it. So specifically, why I don't like the formality part is like, I just, I hate scheduled stuff. I, yeah. Especially, yeah. I just don't like it. Yeah, that's Trung it. Trung never accepts the calendar invite for the show, but he's it. always here. He's here yeah, every week. Up. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I know, but again, not completely shitting on it. I will say there are... Uh, yeah, we're I not shitting on it. It's different yeah, stuff. Different stuff. Hey, exactly. everybody got their own taste. Everybody got their yeah. own taste. And no I will say them. specifically, if, if I was doing something like a real, you know, proper agency of a certain size, or I was doing an e-commerce thing, that is very replicatable it 100% helps, right? But you need to find out the right people. And generally, I find it better to just create that group, be the person who creates that group of people and say, hey, I've got a podcast, you've got a podcast, and I'm bringing a few people together. Would you guys like to chat about this once in a while? You don't have to 
go and spend five grand a year so you go in a totally. Zoom room or something like that. So that is that. Uh, anyway, good question either way. Uh, a couple last ones for us. Mike asked a question. We kind of touched on this before, but let's see if you have anything to add. I'm a screenwriter who's recently sold my first script option and been signed to a major agency. Congrats. As someone who hangs out on the Shut same up. area of the internet as you guys, I'm arguably one of the non-Ladite writers most likely to side with using AI and benefit. But even so, I can't help but wonder if I should shift career track as it's coming for us. Would love your thoughts on this. Don't want to be the black cabbie left behind by Uber, which we referenced a few episodes ago. Um, I think we did this in the Hollywood episode recently. That might have been two weeks ago. But curious, any other thoughts on that as someone who is also a writer? Yeah, I, I what I would say is, well, first of all, writing, as you see with the strike, is already difficult enough as it is for a career. So uh, maybe things will change after WGA strikes. And something we mentioned was like they want to guarantee minimums, more guaranteed minimums, more writer slots in rooms, and then more residual on the upside. Listen, if uh, they come out of this negotiation with those kind of benefits, yeah, you can make a career writing. I would be worried. I would be worried less about AI. Uh, substituting on the creative side and uh, this is something we go back to every time on the show it's like your your personal you know you have your own life circumstances it's, it goes back to the taste it's like you have your own taste you have a taste of one that you've cultivated your entire life your, your job is to cultivate that taste and if you can cultivate a taste which is truly unique and it should be unique because it's your own life and your own life experiences then that's less for you to worry about for AI to replace you as a creator. Uh, what AI can do is supplemental to you. That's how I look at it, right? It's supplemental to your skill set. It'll help you ideate, it'll help you edit, and help you get started and keep moving and writing momentum. But yeah, congratulations on selling that, man. And, yeah, respect. Uh, yeah, I would not, would not at all be worried about being replaced as a creative entity. Um, but, uh, just the, and the the job itself is already difficult, right? So like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Great. All right, cool. We're gonna wrap this up soon. Uh, great questions, everyone, this week. Um, Alex asks, "Is one toad still worth one toad?" Always, not investment advice, but I, I still hold on to my toad uh, that I paid a stupid amount of money for from the 2021 hype cycle. So there's my answer, but definitely no investment advice. Uh, here's a fun one maybe to wrap us out unless Trunk do you have any questions that you'd want to ask no. uh, alright cool let's go <laughs> let's no because I don't have last... any yeah 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 that's cool um, if you could play any actor or this is related to our chat last week so this is a movie fun episode thing uh, if you could play any actor or character in a movie what would it be and so an example is that playing Leo and Wolf of Wall Street Denzel and Training Day like well, I guess, like, who is the character that you're like, oh, that would be so cool to have been that actor doing that? Uh, John McClane, Bruce Willis in Die Hard. As oh, yeah, okay, that's, yeah, that's a go, classic. Man. Yeah, I'll do that one. Although, Training Day, man, dude, you said Training Sal. Day, oh. yeah. Oh, my God, dude, incredible. That, that, that might be the other one. One of those two, man. That. Doesn't, no, always end, doesn't always end well, but, yeah, uh, but what a ride. I, I, I'm trying to think of my one, actually. Um, anything else on Die Hard before, while I'm uh, thinking well, of my Well, I see. You know what I would say? Let me guess you, get a little bit more uh, tactical about it. I wouldn't want to do a film that has CGI. I don't want to be mm. talking and walking in front of it. So all these Marvel yeah. films, I want to do something that's no, real live action. Man. You might have to go straight Tom Cruise, man, with the crazy stunts that he's done. 
What so was like that old? That. Remember Speed? Speed was yeah. incredible. Oh yeah, dude. Was Keanu that Tom? Reeves? Who was that? Tom Kenny. No, that was who? Who was in Speed? Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Oh, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Matrix. Yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Matrix is the obvious one as well. Actually, to be fair, Matrix is the obvious one, but also incredible because you'd be doing all that cool shit. That would actually that would be the one thing where the CGI actually would be kind of cool just to see it all happen in person. Um, I'd also say I'm just trying to think of some of my favorite films. Obviously, all the gangster films are great, like Goodfellas and Scarface and stuff like that, but that's kind of not the best. I, I'd say um, I'd pull out one of these old... I mean, obviously Bond as well. Again, very obvious, but oh, just, just that would just be to very have, cool. Like the, just because just of to the feel IP, like a G. yeah, the G. Just getting that Ooh. nice suit, get a nice, oh, nice my God. suit. Oh my god, the best! Yeah, because I just got a tux, and uh, it's very, very top of mind. Man, tux shopping is absolutely insane. I, I didn't realize. I can't how... say I've ever. I can't ever say I've ever done tux oh, shopping. Oh my god, ridiculous! Anyway, uh, the last one I would say probably like um. Snatch or Lock Stock. You've seen those oh, movies, yeah, like yeah, a Guy yeah. Ritchie movie? Of course, man. Guy Ritchie, one yeah. of those, like, Turkish or one of those random characters that isn't the main guy, but is one of the main guys just to be in that fun film, just to be a part of it. That would be kind of fun. So maybe that would be my answer. All right. I think that was everything, mate. I think we did well here. Again, sorry we didn't get Jack on this timing-wise. It's not, uh, didn't work out to have all three of us here, but we will have Jack back soon. And, uh, trung maybe away by then and just a, a heads up we will very likely be putting out an episode a trung experimental episode in a few weeks as well a single deep dive topic we've talked about how we like the individual topics yeah. but uh, we'll just tease that now slightly different format so um yeah definitely watch out for that i think that'll be probably first week of june we'll probably yeah. try to put it out as well so that'll be a different format let us know what you think of that one Hope we got to most of your questions. There was one question on Formula One, which we didn't do because we did a whole episode on Formula yeah, One. Yeah, and that's a media past. one. We could, yeah, it's we a media could. one. Yeah, we could do our episode. But thanks for sharing that as well. Thanks for your help and support, sharing this with the friends in the group chats and commenting, sharing on Twitter, etc. We appreciate you guys, and we will see you next week. Cheers.